0: Good morning! It's Wednesday, October the 26th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, let's hit the horns and go! horns will pump you up on a Wednesday morning. We've got a great show for you today. Coming up on the show, British Columbia has been experiencing a collision of politics and climate activism. Journalist Arnold Kopecky will offer up his thoughts. What can be better done to serve people with disabilities during an emergency? Advocates are calling for the creation of a vulnerable people's registry. We'll explore that idea. And Canadians want to keep expiry dates and best before dates on food items and food labels. I will discuss some issues we have with food labels. We'll also talk about our grocery store pet peeves, but also the things that bring us great joy in the grocery store. As I've told you before, it's my favorite place to go for a long romantic walk. Let's begin with our top story of the day, and we're beginning with the economy. Economists are expecting a rate hike from the Bank of Canada this morning. Don Kelly looks ahead.
1: Royal Bank senior economist Nathan Jansen says it's a coin toss between a hike of a half a percentage point or three quarters of a point in the central bank's key interest rate. He is leaning toward the smaller increase, but says it's pretty clear that more aggressive interest rate hikes are still warranted. The central bank's trying to rein in inflation, which did drop slightly in September, even as grocery prices kept climbing. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press.
0: And those numbers and that announcement typically occurs around 10 a.m. Eastern time. So as it comes across the wire, we'll share that information with you. It'll probably happen right around the time we're having the sports chat with Brock Richardson. So right around 10.05, 10.10, we'll be able to share what happens with the interest rate hike. Let's move on to another story involving politics. The Canadian Human Rights Tribunal says a $40 billion agreement over child welfare on First Nations has not met all of its orders. The federal government announced the deal in January to compensate First Nations children who suffered harm under Canada's underfunding of child welfare. Assembly of First Nations Regional Chief Cindy Woodhouse says this development presents a significant roadblock for reform.
2: A late stage intervention by the Caring Society and Cindy Blackstock has not only delayed compensation reaching our communities, but also disrupts the process of allocating an additional $19.8 billion that will help us reform the First Nations Child and Family Services program in our communities.
0: Minister of Indigenous Crown Affairs Mark Miller says even after the deal was struck, the conversation has continued.
3: When you look at, actually, the, the children
0: that need to be compensated, that we're taking a common approach so that they're not going to three or four different areas to try to get compensated for the same harm that they occurred. So the work that's been done is not insignificant, and I don't want to leave the impression with, with, with listeners or viewers that there's no work that's been done since then. The work on long-term reform, this is a discussion we had uh, with the Prime Minister directly, is, is, is how do we end this? Minister of Indigenous Services Patty Haidu says the government will go back to the negotiating table to ensure conditions are met.
4: There's disappointment. This was a compensation plan designed by First Nations people for First Nations people in a culturally specific way. Um, my commitment to those partners is that we'll be with them in the, for the long haul to get to an agreement.
0: The agreement initially awarded $40,000 to each child and their families who suffered harm. Let's get to one sound clip from the Emergencies Act inquiry. There was more testimony from local Ottawa police yesterday. Inspector Russell Lucas described a lack of resources as the force was dealing with the protest.
5: The analogy I use is I have one load of of sandbags and we're building a wall, but you see the waters are rising faster and you know you're going to get overwhelmed with the water that's coming.
0: More senior members of Ottawa's police force will testify today one more news story for you and this one comes from the world of business there have been some developments in videotron's purchase of freedom mobile karen rebo explains
1: The Freedom sale is part of the proposed $26 billion merger of Rogers Communications and Shaw Communications, which Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne yesterday rejected while leaving the door open to a revised agreement. Shaw's ownership of Freedom Mobile has been seen as the main obstacle to the Rogers-Shaw approval. And earlier this year, Videotron agreed to buy the carrier for $2.8 billion. But Champagne says he won't approve that deal unless Videotron agrees to keep Freedom's wireless spectrum Licenses for 10 years, and unless it lowers wireless prices in Ontario and the West, Pierre-Carl Peladeau, the CEO of Videotron's owner Quebecor, says it will incorporate the minister's stipulations in a revised transaction, paving the way for Freedom's sale to go through. Karen Rebo, The Canadian Press.
0: Even though this show emanates out of Toronto, we are a national show. Toronto is indeed not the center of the universe; that is Ottawa. I'm teasing. It's definitely not Ottawa. But we spent a lot of time talking about the Ontario municipal elections on Monday and a little bit yesterday. But we haven't forgotten our friends in Manitoba because people across Manitoba are going to the polls today in municipal elections. There will be a new mayor in Winnipeg where incumbent Brian Bowman is not seeking re-election. And 11 candidates are vying to take his place. There will also be a new mayor in Brandon. Where Request has called it a career after two terms, and two candidates are running for that job in the North. Longtime mayor of Churchill, Mike Spence, is facing a challenger after being unopposed last time around. And polls will be open in Manitoba till 8 p.m. local time. So best of luck to all our friends out there in the prairies who are headed to the polls today. Speaking of polls. Let's get to our daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. On Tuesday, we asked you, are you already in the Halloween spirit? 67% of you said yes, and 33% of you said no. So, spirited folks, feeling the goblins and the ghouls already. And We'll be ramping up a little bit of Halloween coverage here on the show. We'll be talking about a sensory-friendly Halloween tomorrow. I'm sure we'll be talking lots about candy on Monday, and maybe I'll wear a costume. Maybe not. Not really a costume guy. Maybe I'll wear a fedora and I'll be Kelly McDonald for Halloween. Let's move on. Actually, before we move on, I should mention our friend Enupala chimed in on Facebook yesterday at Accessible Media Inc. in the comments to that question. She says the best part of Halloween is candy in cute packaging. Very seasonal stuff over there. Thank you, Anu, for chiming in on Facebook. I'm always encouraging you to do that. Don't just vote on the poll. Chime in. Offer comments. Reply to the, reply to the tweet. Reply to the Facebook post. Share it with your friends. Get involved. Start a flame war. Today's daily poll. How willing are you to change phone slash internet companies for a better price? Very, somewhat, or not at all? At Accessible Media on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. On Facebook. I am a creature of habit. And I dread bureaucracy and I fear change. So even though there are many times when I complain about my cell phone bill, I don't do anything about it because I like to yell at clouds. Alex Smythe, what about you?
3: You know, uh, Dave, this is something that I, I think there is a bit more of an um, impression that there is a lot more competition and availability of services, especially when we get to internet. Now cell phones, you can go with all the major carriers, they're typically gonna offer service in your area. But living in Burlington, especially where in Burlington I live, I really only have an option of two companies for my internet. I got Coachco, which I am currently with, or Bell. And and the problem is like, we always want to be able to switch and uh, Bell's always like, well, you we can offer five in your neighborhood and stuff. It's like, oh, that's great. And then you go to find out, oh, no, actually, we can't offer it in your neighborhood and in, in your street. So you, the best you can get is like 40 megabits per second down. It's like, well, I, I get 120 now. Why would I switch? So it's like it's it's not just pricing that you have to kind of compare. It's the level of service, the type of um features that you you want to get especially when it comes to internet that's the one i found where it's like you would assume there would be more carriers more opportunities more options available for you but it's it's not like cell phones where you can go oh rogers bell fido telus freedom you know there's like seven or eight different carriers you can choose from for me internet it's it's one of two and one's really a lot better in terms Mm. of what you're able to get
0: Every couple of months, there's a company that passes through my building that says, Hey, we can do fiber internet in your units for half the price you're paying for your current slower internet. And I'm always like, Oh man, I should do that half the price. Yeah. But then laziness kicks in. I, Alex, I am lazy. If there's one thing y'all should know <laughs> about me, I am the laziest person in the world. In the world.
3: I- I I think you should clarify, you're lazy in certain regards. You're very hardworking, Dave. I mean, I got to commend you on that. Maybe it's lazy when it comes to having to change something or do something different. I get that. You know, it's like, do you really want to go through the hassle of trying a new internet provider, a new phone provider when, you know, at the... Where you are right now, it's fine. It's not great. It's not terrible. Yeah. They haven't pushed you to force a change, yeah. so you're kind of like, eh, I'll just stay here.
0: And like a service call needs to happen. I have to be home. Yeah. I have to wear pants. Like, there's a lot of stuff here that gets in the way. <laughs> Eliza Rocco, what about you? Are you gonna hop on the phone with your cell phone company, internet <laughs> company, and be like, Hey, I need a better deal, yo?
2: Well, that's my biggest problem: is the actual hopping on the phone thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, and with anything else, utilities, other like anything else, I'm okay to call and talk to them for any reason. I don't know why, but I have such a big mental block with talking to phone and internet companies.
0: (laughs) Something just happens. (laughs) I suppose there's an irony there. I don't like picking up the phone to call the phone company.
2: It's just, it's always, and I mean not always, but most of the time it's just such a frustrating experience for me. I don't know why, but it's always those companies. And it just, it makes my day so much worse having to have those phone calls. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. If if that wasn't a part of it, I would have changed my phone plan like months and months ago. I've been putting it off, and I don't need like you. I don't need to change it. Yeah. So I've been putting it off. I would like to change it. There's cheaper options out half there. The, for like me.
0: half the price though for me, right? Like if I could just sack up and do that, <laughs> I would save like six hundred dollars a year.
2: <laughs> That's pretty good. It's like a lot pretty of pretty cash. Going. Yeah, I, I think. One day. One day I
0: think he'll do it. One day I'll eventually get around to it and I'll do this. I I have a really dear friend of mine. He is such a great guy. But much like me, he fears bureaucracy. He ended up marrying a lawyer. So now Mm -hmm. she handles all of that stuff for him. And I have to put that in my Bumble profile now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, must be willing in the long term to be my driver (laughs) And to do my paperwork.
2: Yeah, my uh, my partner is uh, his name is on the internet, so he deals with all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. Thankfully, I am I'm, I'm on a lot of other things, but internet no part no part of that.
0: See, this is the beautiful thing about relationships, right? That you can you can divvy up tasks. Mm-hmm. There can be there can be delegation as necessary.
2: I, I'm I'm. I am so thankful for it. I don't know why, but I
0: really am. Oh, my gosh. Eliza, thank you for this. That's Eliza Rocco. You might hear from her a little bit later in the show. You'll hear from Alex Smythe right now with the National Weather Updates.
3: Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. There's not a lot of sunshine in the forecast today, so be prepared for that. Let's start over in St. John's, Newfoundland. It's cloudy with possible rain in the morning, then becoming um, partially cloudy in the afternoon with a high of 16. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's rain with up to 5 millimeters expected and a high of 17. In Montreal, Quebec, it's a mix of sun and clouds with possible showers in the afternoon, but a high of 23. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain this morning and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour with a high of twenty-two. In Toronto, Ontario, clouds rolling in this morning and then showers in the afternoon with 16 as the high. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's cloudy and a high of six. Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's cloudy as well, with a high of four. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds and seven is the high. In Calgary, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds, and a high of 4. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds as well, and a high of 9. Up in Yellowknife Northwest Territories, there's snow this morning, which will end in the afternoon, and up to 4 centimeters is expected, with a high of minus 3. Over to Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds with increasing cloud cover as the day goes on, and the high is 11. And finally, in Victoria, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of showers late in the afternoon and a high of 11. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: Thank you very much. Alex, coming up next, we asked the question what can be done to better serve people with disabilities during an emergency? Advocates are calling for the creation of a voluntary vulnerable people's registry. We'll explore that idea. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back to this very bizarre edition of Now with Dave Brown. The irony of ironies occurred as we were just about to get into a conversation about emergency preparedness and situations like major storms, climate events, power outages. The power went out in our Toronto offices. And you might think, oh, a little power blip, that's easy to fix. There are a lot of machines and computers and other machines around this place that require some significant rebooting to do a national television broadcast. So a huge shout out to Leanne and Kevin and Ray and Kingsley and Dan and Eliza who were working their tails off behind the scenes to get us back on the air. I'm not sure what this is going to do to our repeat broadcasts, whether the show will even be repeated, but just bear in mind, it could be a little bit weird and clunky. You might get some extra commercial breaks to fill some time and make this fit into a two-hour block. A person who I'm very grateful to is disability advocate and artist Ann Kamozi, who literally sat in our Zoom room for 20 minutes now while we were getting things back online, and I'm so grateful that you were able to hang around for us. Thank you.
1: No problem. I did think it was a great irony.
0: <laughs> there's, definitely, there's definitely something to that. The powers that be somewhere did not want to give us the power to have the conversation about emergency preparedness, <laughs> serving people with disabilities during emergencies, and the possible creation <laughs> of a vulnerable person's list, a registry, of a voluntary vulnerable person's registry. And before we get into the registry, can you describe for me the state of emergency preparedness and services for people with disabilities in Nova Scotia?
1: Well, I really think there really is no emergency preparedness for people with disabilities. At least um, I was unable to uh, find out very much. It turns out our government did release um, um, a handbook for people with disabilities, but nobody in the disability community really knew about it until halfway through Fiona, then suddenly it surfaced online. I think, you know, one of the things that Myself and others are calling for is not just the development of a voluntary registry, but also that people with disabilities be involved in emergency planning. Mm. And this is a key, uh, this is a key fundamental right article 11 of the united nations convention on the rights of persons with disabilities underscores the right for people with disabilities to be able to access services and supports in an emergency but right now it does not seem like we are actually included in local emergency plans
0: i I want to talk about the registry first what do you think that registry would look like
1: Well, I think it's going to have to be uh, tailor-made in different communities. Urban models would be different than rural models. I think it has to be first voice driven. And it definitely has to be voluntary. There are some people who are raising concerns about privacy, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's my right if I decide to self-disclose to EMO officials that I'm in a wheelchair and would need, pro- would need help with evacuation. Um, so I think one of the things is it has to be voluntary. Secondly, it has to be first voice driven. So it's community based And in Nova Scotia, at least, it looks like they are looking at possibly legislating it because of um, uh, myself and others who have been talking about it. So we've had a very good response here from the provincial government. And the Minister of Justice has indicated that he will be looking at adding it to the Emergency Measures Act, which would be a powerful um, step forward, I think, to have it actually included in legislation. But that legislation hopefully will state that it has to be first voice driven. I'd hate to see it become a bureaucratic thing where first voices don't design it.
0: Mm, yeah, that's that's really well put. I, I, it is very, it must be very affirming that people within the government are taking what you're advocating for very seriously. Are there models elsewhere that might create a little bit of a blueprint or a guiding light in how this may be implemented in Nova Scotia?
1: There are some. um, And um, actually, Ontario's Peel region, I think, has something. Mm -hmm. There are different versions of it around in different provinces. Some of them are more dementia based and and they're voluntary for people with dementia. I it's it's not it's. Not lost on me and other people in the vulnerable community that the only death that occurred in Nova Scotia during Fiona was a man with dementia who mm-hmm. was swept out to sea. Mm-hmm. And if there had been a voluntary registry, that death might have been preventable. So I think um, th- there are um, different municipalities that are now taking this on in Truro, Nova Scotia, and I think Queens in response to what we've been talking about. But I I. I think it's going to be something that has to be developed community by community. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that the basic guiding principles couldn't be a national guiding principle and then guiding principles voluntary, first voice led, um, community based and so for example i live in a small rural community that would be a very different model than would be for toronto right, right. and 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 so that's why i think that the general principles could be universal but then the the, the nitty gritty detail of it would have to be worked out um on a community-based approach. Yeah,
0: it, that, that makes so much sense, right? Because first responders and emergency individuals would be locally based, would be regionally based. So it's the local fire, fire department, ambulance, EMS, police. These are the folks who would need to be able to do that communication or take action in times of an emergency. So absolutely, even if we created a policy framework, absolutely there needs to be local communication and local and regional work. And I, I, I want to go beyond the registry. What else do you think could be be done in the moment of an emergency to better serve people with disabilities.
1: Well, I think the messaging prior to the emergency has to include people with disabilities. For example, I tried to find out ahead of time where the comfort stations would be and how I would get there if Mm. I needed to get Mm. there. And I was unable to find that prior to Fiona, even though there were multi-day, week-long almost messages telling us to be prepared. So um, I think people with disabilities and vulnerable seniors, I think we have to include vulnerable people who. Um, may not identify as having disabilities, but are in that vulnerable population, there, there has to be messaging that's directed directly at us. For example, in my individual situation, I'm in a power wheelchair. A lot of people said to me, well, just call an ambulance if you need to evacuate. Well, here in Nova Scotia, I don't know what it's like in other provinces, but here in Nova Scotia, ambulances are not allowed to um um um, transport mobility devices so if they pick me up they put me on a gurney and land me at a at a at a comfort station i don't have my wheelchair oh gosh so um you know i think those kinds of things so the messaging beforehand would be if you need emergency evacuation and you you have mobility issues this is where you would call This is how it would work. In our case in Nova Scotia, all of our telecommunications were down. So one of the reasons that we went before the legislature was to indicate that they were um, amending the Telecommunications Act to say telecommunications would have to work. Well, that would include linking the registry, you know, into those telecommunications so that that would work. Mm. So I think emergency preparedness for people with disabilities is quite different than for um, the average person. For example, they were messaging, get your medications, you know, get fill up on your medications. Well, many of us with disabilities are on limited medications that are only dispensed 30 days at a time. You can't get them refilled before that date. Those kinds of issues are all like it's fine tuning all of that small messaging to accommodate all the different types of disabilities that are out there. And that's where the first voices in the design and the policies have to come into it. Mm
0: -hmm. It has to be a very holistic look in the way that you're serving people in those moments, because in moments of crisis, we know things can fall through the cracks. And that's exactly why you need sound, sound policy.
1: I think policies and then procedures. Yes. And those two two things go go hand in hand. Often the policies are made, but the procedures are not put in place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in, in this case, I think we're talking about policies, procedures. We're talking about communication prior to the event. And that's probably more important you know then well not more important but equally as Mm -hmm, important mm -hmm. as the registry and involving people with um, first voices in the design of that messaging you know what what is it that I need to be told you know I don't know what the EMO here locally is designed I know most of our services are voluntary in a small rural community so I think it's just the most important thing is is understanding that you know some people need um power to power medical devices what is what is the backup plan for that? Mm-hmm. I understand that um, manitoba i think or saskatchewan um, has something called um disability emergency management network i think it's the run through the manitoba disabilities office and i i'm trying to find out more about that but we definitely shouldn't be reinventing the wheel in each province
0: yeah i agree no. i agree and I, I'm so thankful that you were able to join us today. I know this isn't an easy topic to discuss, but it's a critically important one. I'd love to revisit this with you down the road uh, as as legislation moves through, as the policy and procedure are being crafted. But for now, we have to say goodbye. But thank you so much for coming on with us today. We're, we're grateful.
1: Thanks so much, Dave. And on behalf of person every- buddy here in nova scotia who's disabled i'm not just speaking for myself i'm speaking for a lot of vulnerable people so thanks for the opportunity to represent them
0: mm, thank you for the hard work that you and other folks out there are doing that's ann camozzi an artist and disability advocate in nova scotia coming up next we'll be joined by amy Amante. she'll tell you all about a grunt gallery tactile residency available to you this is now with dave brown on ami Welcome back to now with Dave Brown on AMI, the very special power out edition of now with Dave Brown. We're a little behind the clock here, but we're going to break format and just kind of move through as we do. So let's welcome in Amy Amanti, a community reporter for us out there in Vancouver, British Columbia. Hey, good morning, Amy.
4: Hey, good morning, Dave. Happy I wasn't cut with the electricity.
0: <laughs> we definitely did not give you the boot. We would never give Amy Amanti the boot uh no sweat I i'm here. Do that. i'm sorry 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 uh, amy i got a note in my ear i got a note in my ear about the tvs going off in here but that's just going to be the kind of day we're going to have here <laughs> on now with dave brown so uh amy let's start with some in-person fitness classes that bc blind sports oh is offering tell me a bit about this about the return of in-person fitness classes
4: yeah, because that's exactly what you want to talk about when you got all the other minutiae to deal with, <laughs> yeah. right? But that's okay. We're Amy, here to play. Amy,
0: I'm always down to get a good pump in, get a good sweat going.
4: Yeah, I I, I get that you're the kind of guy that works out from home, right? You've talked about that before. But yes. Some folks like to go out and do a social with their fitness. I am not one of those people. Um, although I have done these fitness classes before when they were locally in my area, but I'm talking about a couple of them that are in... Uh, And other areas of the province of British Columbia. So yeah, the in-person fitness programs are returning with like, like great strength because of course people have been isolated for the last couple of years. So I wanted to just, you know, highlight BC blind sports and what they're doing. So they've got a couple of classes happening in Kelowna. Um, So Cindy, who's one of the uh, regular um, fitness partners and they do this, right? They partner with regular um, fitness trainers and to host these programs so you're looking at um, programs with Cindy at the uh, Kelowna Cultural Center um, on Thursdays between 5 and 6 p.m., which is great. And in Nanaimo classes with Brian, um, we'll start Monday, October 17th, which, of course, is past, but they're regular ongoing classes nice. from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And we're looking at things like um, uh, regular r- workout routines, right, and finding ways of instead of going to the, you got some lovely pictures of uh, people, I think, using ellipticals or something on there. So this is, instead of being in a typical gym, this would be like in a gymnasium setting where you're doing weightlifting and strength training and interval training. And they'll bring things like balls or uh, uh, the steps to step up Mm -hmm, on and mm -hmm. and, like the hand weights, that kind of stuff. So you're not in this environment where you have to feel intimidated. Although this is the funniest blind joke ever, I think. If I go into one of those gyms, I can't see anybody anyways. (laughs) So it's not like I can ogle and be like, oh my gosh, I'm comparing my body to their body. It's not going to happen in my world. It's
0: (laughs) always a judgment-free workout experience when Amy Amanti is there. Yeah, Amy, I, the, the idea of the in-person classes that offer sort of a mixture of things, right? Whether it be mm-hmm. fitness balls or some calisthenics or so, or like you said, the, the steps. It really is a great way to get a nice, varied workout in, get a sweat in a different way. As you say, social. I don't typically like to socialize when I'm working out. I do occasionally go to the gym when I really want to clang and bang pretty hard. But mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. The, the in-person really matters. Have you had a chance to do this? Have you, have you participated in
4: one yeah so i used to do them quite regularly uh here locally before the pandemic of course but what i found for me personally is that they were in areas that were a little bit far for me to travel Mm. um so i was happy to do them sort of in the summertime but then i found dragon boating and that was something that that sort of filled that bucket for me it's not a winter sport um necessarily so at least it's not for me there are many dragon boaters out on the water right now. (laughs) I am not one of them.
0: Fair weather dragon boaters. The the ocean gets cold this time of year.
4: Oh my gosh, does it ever. But one of the things that's really nice about these fitness programs is they usually have some volunteers there that can help you with stuff. So you don't have to figure out how to use any of the equipment on your own. You know, there's an instructor that you can follow who gives verbal instructions. If you have partial sight, you can get close enough to the instructor. But they also have like volunteers that help set things up and help, help, um, if you're having... Difficulty like figuring out how a movement works in your mind, because some of us do, mm-hmm. you know, they can help sort of manipulate your body into that shape. So yes. you're like, oh, I get what you're saying, right? So that's it, I find really helpful.
0: It's true. As as good as some people are at describing, and I know people that you work with are excellent at describing, sometimes it can be very difficult to describe a workout motion, right? To try and describe a burpee would be very, very difficult. Right. And sometimes it's nice to have someone with their hands on and like and can say, okay, I need you to drop down like this. I need you to put your hands there. I need you to kick your legs back. And they yeah. can actually be
4: worried in these specific settings. Like I used to find when I would go to a typical, you know, workout setting and I'm in part of you know, sorry, um, I don't, I'm sorry. Can you explain that again? Like I always felt like the odd person out asking to have things explained to me. So of course in this environment, you don't have to worry about any of that. You don't get it. You just say so. Yeah. You're not taking up anybody's time. You're not slowing down anybody else's workout.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And a very inclusive, welcoming environment. Well, we'll share some details about that up on the blog after the show, AMI.ca slash now for these in-person fitness classes offered by BC Blind Sports across the province. But Amy, let's go into one of your wheelhouses which is the art world and the grunt gallery is offering up a tactile residency. Amy, I need you to explain to me what a tactile residency is.
4: <laughs> well, I guess first we can talk about what a residency is in
0: general. Ah, even, right? even better point. Well done, Amy. Well done.
4: Uh, <laughs> so a residency um, is usually, I mean, in in this particular context, it's about artists um, and it's like, it's a short term working gig basically is what it is. So grunt gallery is offering a six week residency. So you can apply from anywhere Uh, obviously they look at local folks first that's based on funding right finding places for people to stay but really if you're an artist um, or a writer or whatever you can apply for residencies wherever uh, and go and experience you know what it's like so in this case grunt gallery is offering a tactile residency so what they're looking to do is bring in somebody who's blind partially sighted deaf blind has a non-visual experience of any kind to explore how we how we um, interact with a typical gallery setting, which is like, has been hands off, right? You go into Mm -hmm. a gallery, you can't touch anything. So how do we break those barriers down and focus specifically on the aspect of touch? And what's really nice about this residency is that you don't have to have any artist experience. It's open to anybody. I may apply myself. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) But what's nice is that this can be about the process. It doesn't have to be about creating a product. Um, which is all two things in an artist's world, right? You either talk about the process and how we got there and what we did and what we explored, or we present a product, right?
0: Amy, for the sake of time, I would love to drill yeah. a bit deeper, but we do have to move on. But I'll make sure that we share again details about this on the blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, because there's one more thing we need to get to. And it's offering mm-hmm. you a little bit of congratulations as you continue to climb the ladder at Vocali. You've been named, the associate director of VocalEye now. Congratulations to you. But instead of focusing on the role, Amy, you guys have a really interesting training that you're offering in regards to offering training to sighted guides or training people to become sighted guides. What is this training going to entail?
4: Yeah, so Vocali is taking an active approach in, in educating folks on sighted guide technique, right? So we often need sighted guides uh, in any environment that we are in, uh, specifically I'm talking about in the arts community. Uh, so Vocali is going to start doing these sort of uh, every quarter roughly, so three to four times a year, maybe a little more depending on the need, but we'll bring in folks from other artistic uh, organizations and we will train them on sort of disability justice, um, language, you know, things like allyship and performative mm-hmm. allyship and inspiration for mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And then sighted guide techniques so that they feel comfortable interacting with folks who are blind and partially sighted. It's the number one thing that stops people from just offering assistance, is they're afraid of like,
0: hurting our feelings or making a mistake, right? <laughs> or so being a, or, or, being a or, or being a really poor-sighted guide, which I did at Jeff Ryman's wedding last week. I was offering my <laughs> arm to somebody and trying to navigate through like a million people. And I was like, this is a bad idea. I should the not blind be blind yeah, the blind yeah, Dave. Uh, the, the legally blind reading leading the totally blind was not yeah. the was not the best was not the best technique. But uh, but no I think offering people those kind of trainings and best practices and letting them find it giving them a space where they can ask maybe some of those uncomfortable That's questions right. and learn about etiquette in sort of a non-judgmental way. It almost goes back to the fitness conversation we're having is just really good to do.
4: Yeah. So I I run these programs. Like I look at a kind of a decolonized approach, which is a little bit like uh, it's very discussionary, we'll say, you know, and folks can just ask questions as they need to. That's the place where we want them to make their air quotes mistakes and to feel comfortable. And then just to like leave the room with this toolbox full of tools that they can pull out as they need to. Right. And some of the things that we talk about are great, whether you are working with the blind community or other communities of folks with disabilities. Right. Some of the concepts carry over.
0: Absolutely. Amy, we're so grateful. Thank you for your patience with us today as we got to a little bit late as we're dealing with the power outage. But all the best to you, and we will talk to you again on Monday for a movie series review. You got it. I'll
4: be there on Monday.
0: Excellent. That's Amy Amanti, a community reporter out there in Vancouver, BC. Coming up after the break, we'll bring in Brock Richardson and have ourselves a real quick sports chat. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, October the 26th, 2022, a very special power outage edition of the show. Things are a little bit clunky here and the clock is a little bit thrown off. So bear with us a little bit as we get through the second hour of the show. British Columbia has been experiencing a collision of politics and climate activism. Arno Kopecky will offer up his thoughts. And Canadians want to keep expiry dates and best-before labels on food items. Megan Gilmore, Jenny Bovard, and I will discuss some issues we have with food labels. Just before we bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat, I do want to share that the Bank of Canada has, as expected, raised interest rates yet again. Another 50 basis points, so 0.5%, and the current benchmark Interest rates from the Bank of Canada, 3.75%, 3.75% after the sixth rate hike this year by the Bank of Canada. And as the day moves along, there'll be some sound gathered from economists, and I'll share that with you tomorrow. But for now, let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. So, Brock, you and I yesterday touched on the struggles of the Vancouver Canucks, who are in the midst of a losing streak, to the point they have not won a game yet this year in the early NHL season. And we thought about their head coach Bruce Boudreau calling his team mentally weak. Well, you wanted to reflect on coaching during a losing streak and what's that and what that's like.
5: So um I've never been called uh, mentally weak in the public eye from a coach. Uh, However, I was at the uh, Paralympic Games. I'm not going to name which one because I'm not going to shout out the coach. But um, I was at the Paralympic Games and we were having quite a bit of a struggle. And the coach felt that one individual was playing better than the rest of us. And so they uh, called a timeout and they read us the riot act. And then... We, the other team had a timeout, and we were literally arguing on the court. Oh, yo, yo, yo! Um, this This can be the damage. Sometimes coaches can get the best out of you when they call you out in the public eye of situations like this. And other times, it can uh, bring the worst out in you. And I'm happy to say that all of us that went to these games are still friends. But, um, you know... It was a really challenging time. In fact, we joke about this very story that we were arguing on the court uh, in the middle of the Paralympic Games and everyone was looking at over at Canada like, what is their problem over there? (laughs) What
0: happened to the friendly Canadians? They have a reputation as being so friendly and they're cursing (laughs) at each other. That's not good.
5: (laughs) Yeah,
0: Brock, I think that really speaks to the importance of coaching, especially when things are going poorly and how difficult a position that can be in for a coach because maybe you do want to read the Riot Act, but that can backfire on you.
5: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we we ended up uh, playing better in the games following, but it just, I I don't know, I just wouldn't have done it the way that it was done. I get what they were trying to get out of us, but I think it could have been real damaging to a long history since we've all retired and moved on could have been really damaging to friendships that mm-hmm. i'm happy to report are not there um, go. damaged
0: but. that's that's the information we like to hear on now with dave brown long-standing mm-hmm. friend so about is being really tight for time today because we had that power outage in the first hour threw everything for a loop so we have to say goodbye to you a little bit early today but thank you for sharing the story from your personal experience we're always appreciative not a problem that's brock richardson he's the host of the neutral zone let's bring in alex Smythe for the national weather update
3: Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's cloudy with showers expected this morning and a high of 17. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly cloudy and a high of 19. In St. John, New Brunswick, there's rain. It's expected throughout the day and a high of 16. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's mainly cloudy with the chance of showers and a high of 21. In Toronto, Ontario, clouds rolling in in the morning and then showers in the afternoon with a high of 16. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, rain ending later today, and then it'll be cloudy with a high of six. In Brandon, Manitoba, cloudy with possible rain or snow in the afternoon with a high of four. In Regina, Saskatchewan, cloudy with a chance of snow this morning, then clearing up in the afternoon with a high of one. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of nine. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and a high of nine as well. In Whitehorse, Yukon, snow off and on today with up to two centimeters expected and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour with a high of two. And in Kelowna, B.C., it's cloudy with possible showers in the morning and then a mix of sun and clouds and a high of 9. And then finally in Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sunny clouds with increasing cloud cover as the day goes on in a high of 11. That was your AMI National Weather Report environment,
0: Canada. Thank you very much. Alex, coming up next, British Columbia has been experiencing a collision of politics and climate activism. Journalist Arnold Kopecky will offer up his thoughts. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. As we've been reporting on the show, British Columbia has been experiencing some pretty difficult weather conditions in late summer and early fall. There were air quality statements due to forest fires. Drought conditions had places like the Sunshine Coast declaring a local state of emergency last week. That provided a backdrop for some political drama that played out in the province last week as well. For his thoughts on all of this, let's bring in journalist Arno Kopecki. Hey, good morning, Arno. Great to chat with you once again.
6: Good morning, Dave. Uh, Great to see you. How's it
0: going? Pretty good, pretty good. Arno, let's start with the drought conditions. You're out there in the Vancouver area. Can you describe what it's been like the last few weeks?
6: Well, the fever finally broke a couple days ago, Dave, so I'm in a better mood than I was. Um, It finally started raining, but yes, it was dramatic. We thought we were going to get through summer without any climate disasters here. And then suddenly, September was dry as a bone. We set 150 heat records. Uh, not a drop of rain, and then the same thing through October. The first three weeks of October uh, were super dry and warm, and then into that, at the end of October, we started getting wildfires and shrouded Vancouver in smoke for the last week of—well, not the last week, but the, you know, from about October 14th to 21st, mm-hmm. we were uh, as the, as the screen is showing. Uh, you know, you couldn't see the mountains. We were getting these uh, apocalyptic orange sunsets and hanging out in t-shirts in the afternoon, which is, I know it's warmer than the rest of Canada and Vancouver, but it's not supposed to be that warm. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was dramatic.
0: Yeah. I was talking to my friend in Seattle and she said, you couldn't even go for a walk outside without either her allergies or her asthma acting up because of the smoke conditions that people were going through. Totally, yeah. Arno, what about, what about the wildlife? How, how did these conditions end up impacting the wildlife?
6: So there was, uh, you know, again, dramatically, uh, especially the salmon streams uh, were warming up and even drying up completely in some cases. Fall is spawning season. So that's when uh, five five species of salmon come back to the streams that they were born in. And then they have to swim up those streams to lay their eggs, as a lot of your uh, listeners probably know. And there was dramatic footage about a month ago, mid-September, us of, of a creek on the central coast that had just dried up completely and exposed 65,000 salmon who were left there to die wow. and died before they could lay their eggs and it was just this awful uh, awful scene so we're gonna find out in a few years when this generation comes back to spawn how widespread that was but it, it was devastating the- uh, that's one one of the major effects was it just cooked those salmon streams. Also, the die-offs in our forests. Uh, if you go to Stanley Park, which is Vancouver's version of Central Park, you'll see a lot of of dying uh, cedar trees, especially. Um, you see the these changing conditions are really are really sort of repopulating our forest, and and these great majestic red cedars, that are an iconic species here uh, and a beautiful tree. They're they're disappearing fast. They're turning brown and and dying. So. Uh, that, that's a couple of the examples.
0: There was a stat that I shared last week about the Sunshine Coast, where typically between late July and this time of year, they would receive about 200 millimeters of rain. And they'd only received 10 millimeters until some rain came in last weekend. But, I mean, that, that just right. is a staggering, staggering number. People think about drought conditions. That is, what, 5% of the expected rainfall? That's,
6: that's wild it is yeah and they were so there was water conservation like stage four water conservation farmers weren't allowed to irrigate their crops so it's an awful blow to, to farmers and and uh you know vancouver had an alert too we almost ran out of drinking water in, in vancouver we had mm. to conserve as well uh like i say finally it started raining so that that concern is now over but man it was scary what kind of
0: pressure maybe unexpected pressures might dry conditions like that create maybe on the power grid for example
6: yeah, I mean, excellent point, Dave. We're we're, we're we're a province that is run largely on hydropower, and hydropower is, <laughs> by definition, relies on water to fill these reservoirs and for these rivers to keep flowing. So they were on alert as well. Now, luckily, a lot of these rivers are further north and central, where these where a lot of these hydroelectric dams are. So they weren't uh, devastated, but they put out notices. You know, they felt sufficiently alarmed to to feel the need to reassure the public that it was still okay and. We saw that in Europe earlier this summer and in China that a lot of their power grid was shutting down because of the, these uh, these rivers drying up. Um, so it didn't happen. Again, it was more a big rattling of the cage, but it was kind of shocking to realize that it could happen.
0: I, I don't mean to get into fear-mongering here. I know, I know we're maybe entering into a bit of speculation, but what are some of the longer-term concerns, even with some rain hitting the ground in the last few weeks? Are there concerns now about the dry conditions potentially giving way to flooding?
6: Yes, there are. Uh, So we're keeping our eyes on that right now. Looking out the window, it's not raining at this moment. It rained a bunch yesterday. But yeah, anytime you have a long dry spell like this, uh, the ground really compacts. And then if if that is followed by a a substantial rain, then you have the right conditions for a flash flood. And of course, we're all we have a bit of PTSD here from it was just a year ago that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that BC had these atmospheric rivers that, that I, I was devastated. out there.
0: I, I was out there last November when when the atmospheric rivers went through. the The impact of the lower mainland and the central part of the, the the province was staggering.
6: Yes, it really was. And so a lot those same mountain slopes are are still destabilized. You know, they don't just bounce back uh, right away. So. Um, We are on high alert now for that too. I don't think we have the, well, we definitely don't have the level of rain forecast that was last year, but it wouldn't take much uh, when the slopes are this dry and already weakened from last year. Now we haven't had a week of rain. So things can, floods can happen like that quickly for sure.
0: Arno, let's jump over to politics here because climate ended up playing a significant role in political conversations around BC Mm -hmm. last week. NDP leadership hopeful Angelia Padurai was disqualified from the race for alleged breaches of campaign rules. Padurai denies any wrongdoing. Oh, is the clip not firing for us today? That's that's kind of a... Kind of a microcosm of what, uh, of what we've dealt with with a power outage on the show today. It's all good. We play- Okay, Eliza's got it. Eliza, let's, let's fire up that we clip. All
7: right. We followed the rules. And so the party had a choice. Let all the members of the party, new and old, choose the next leader and risk having a climate champion in the premier's seat. Or take this undemocratic approach and disqualify the candidate. It's distressing that they have taken the nuclear option.
0: The disqualification left David Eby unopposed to replace Premier John Horgan. Eby has offered to work with the Patterai on some environmental concerns. Arno, I've been observing this one from afar, but what's the conversation been like in BC?
6: It has been a it, uh, it really captivated uh, many people in this province, you know. Um, and there was two really two two powerful narratives going on. Of course, on the one hand, Angelia Patterai, this this uh, uh, charismatic. Uh, passionate, really talented young speaker and movement organizer who speaks for climate change at a time when we're all worried about it. And like I said, you know, wildfire smoke is filling the air while this drama is playing out. At first, she got into the ring and and announced that she was going to be running for the leadership of the party, uh, which, if she won, would make her the premier of the province. So a lot of people saw that and thought, well, you know, that's nice. She'll, you know, she'll add something to the conversation. But then a month later, uh, the, the numbers started coming in and people thought, oh my gosh, she might actually win this thing. And so that's when the imagine the
0: Imagine that in a democracy, somebody somebody winning
6: based on a popularity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. But, you know, so the, the countervailing, so of course people who are climate concerned and, and environmental, the environmental movement was very apt about this. Um, but a lot of progressive people- we're also kind of concerned because, you know, they're thinking, well, B.C. has a pretty progressive government. You know, we're one of the more progressive provinces in the country, uh, which is a precious commodity at this time of surging right wing sentiment. And a uh, according to this narrative, threatened a lot of that by if she had won. She would have, you know, nobody in the party, uh, not sitting uh, re- representatives, uh, members of legislative assembly, nobody wanted her to be there. So it was it was really kind of an, an insurgency uh, and a bit of a host would have been a bit of a hostile takeover. Also, she would have uh, really canceled some huge mega projects, uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline, Coastal Gas Lake Pipeline, uh, Site C Mega Dam. Which would have saddled this province if she had pulled that off, with literally tens of billions of dollars in debt at a time, when you know there's a healthcare crisis here, we don't have enough teachers, there's a housing crisis, there's a lot of stuff going on, so people felt you know she represented this threat that would have opened the door for the opposition to win in the next election, Mm. and that was kind of the dynamic uh, when she seemed to be winning, and then all of a sudden the party disqualified her. For breaking a number of campaign rules, and so that, of course, made half the the province think, well, it was actually the BC NDP that cheated, not Angela mm. Um And so that's the kerfuffle that we're all in. And you know, you heard what Angelia Padera said in that clip, and a lot of people uh, uh, agree with her. A lot of people feel that she was actually the one who who raised the nuclear option and, and took it to this this mm. place. Arno, I know this is a, a speculative question, but but I
0: do want to get your take on it. Does it feel mm-hmm. like there's political gatekeeping when it comes to climate activists and keeping them out of political power?
6: You know, uh, I, I think there is certainly some gatekeeping, I think, but I, I think any organization, including a, a party, uh, is going to do what it can to prevent somebody who is not entirely friendly to their sitting interests from taking over that organization, <laughs> and I don't know if the if the BC NDP is particularly hostile to the climate movement. Uh, I think they have a lot of people who are very climate aware. There is no doubt that they have uh, the environmental file has been one of their weakest files, and the NDP, both in BC and federally, and anywhere that there is a party like the NDP, which has its roots in the labor movement faces this weird contradiction where they're trying to be progressive and represent workers, but also represent environmental interests in a province and a country where most jobs are in environmentally destructive industries. Mm. So how do you square that circle? It's a real tricky thing that the NDP is trying to manage. And that is what Apadurai represented, uh, because she is also grounded in humanitarian social justice concerns, but she is fusing that with uh, climate and environmental concerns, and she tried to bring that to the power. I, my view is that she succeeded in her goal, that she cre- she forced the NDP to acknowledge uh, that they have to, that this is a political force that she represents, that they would be stronger to incorporate it than to fight it. Um, I don't think it's true that she, you know, I don't think she was trying to cheat and, and be sneaky, but she did break some campaign rules that were pretty clear. Uh, so I think the NDP was, was was gatekeeping and was looking for a reason to disqualify what they saw as a threat mm. uh, to their political prospects. But I also think it's true that she she demonstrably did break some of the rules. And that's where the conversation breaks down into the weeds that we don't really need to go into here. I think <laughs> yeah. people always break rules. You know, so there's discretion on how aggressively you enforce those rules. It's not unheard of. I mean, in the in the conservatives' leadership race that they just had federally, they disqualified Patrick Brown for breaking the rules. He said all the same things that uh, Patera is saying now. Um, So it's this kind of thing is is not unusual. What was unusual was for somebody who is this young and has no experience in government to come within a millimeter of becoming the premier of the province. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty remarkable. It's very, very remarkable. Arno, I've got to hold you to sort of a quicker thought on this one. I understand also if you want to reject the premise. And I also understand (laughs) that maybe you answered this a little bit in your last response. But why do you think some parties are unwilling to push the envelope on a more progressive climate
6: agenda? uh some are just cynical because they don't care uh i think many do care and are facing an electorate that does not care nearly as much as it should and uh w- if they had to choose between 10 more cents a liter of gas or uh salmon dying they would often choose salmon dying um and i think that's the reality that a lot of parties like the ndp which wants to be progressive but also wants to stay in power and it you know so that's the fault of, yeah. of many of us including myself for not Uh, seeding the urgency, but you, Dave, are doing Lord's good work here uh, <laughs> sharing these words, so that makes it easier for politicians to do that.
0: I, I don't know if I'm doing that much good work, but I, but I'm I'm deeply concerned, so I do talk about climate on the show quite a bit. Arno, just before we say goodbye to you, I did want to offer you some congratulations. We've shouted out your work as an author before, the books that you've written before, but you actually received an award for some of the work you did on covering the issues at Ferry Creek last week, so congratulations to you on uh, some award-winning journalism that was recognized Thank earlier you. this month.
6: Yeah, thank you, Dave. That's
0: really kind. Arno, we have to say goodbye. We are fresh out of time, but have yourself a great day and we'll talk to you next month.
6: Sounds good, Dave. We'll see you next week or next month. Oh my gosh,
0: I'd love to talk to you next week, but I think it's <laughs> going to be next month. That's that's journalist, <laughs> right. award-winning journalist Arno Kopecki joining us to talk about climate and politics. Coming up next, Canadians want to keep expiry dates and best before dates on their food items. Megan Gilmore, Jenny Bovard, and I will discuss some issues we have with food labels. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI, currently showing just a black screen. And there I am. There's the old DB. There's the old DB popping up on screen. My beautiful face. The power outage edition of now with Dave Brown that has thrown us for something of a loop. But we're back on track. According to a survey from Dalhousie University in Angus Reid, 62% of Canadians want to keep best before dates on food. Some grocery chains in Europe have removed best before dates as a way to reduce food waste. Let's talk about expiry dates and food labels with Jenny Bovard and hopefully eventually Megan Gilmore. But for now, we just say hello to Jenny. Hey, Jenny, how are you?
7: I'm good, DB. How you doing?
0: I'm doing okay. And I do see Megan on screen. Hello, Megan.
7: Hello, Dave.
0: Hello, Jenny. Nice to chat with both of you guys on this front. So, Jenny, I want to start with you. Even understanding that best before dates and expiry dates are not quite the same thing, what's your take on their place in our food retail landscape?
7: Well, personally, I use them as sort of a loose guideline. I think a lot of us do. Um, but I'm with that, what was it, 62% of Canadians? I, I think we still very much need them. Um, without a whole ton of public education and awareness, I don't think, and lots of other things uh go go into getting rid of best before dates, I think too, in terms of accountability on the retailer side. Mm. But for me, they're a loose guideline. When you grow up with a pretty strict food budget at home, food waste is a big deal. So a lot of things get the sniff and smell and sometimes taste (laughs) test. Even if they're beyond that date, I, you know, I might still give it a try. And so far, so good, you know, for the most part, there's, you know, nothing's perfect. No perfect system.
0: Megan, what's your (laughs) thought on the place for expiry dates?
7: Sure.
8: So on top of what Jenny's already said, um, some people I've listened to like experts in food talk about this mentioned that uh, they also hold a really important space in the food shopping landscape when it comes to prices and budgeting. So I am one of those people who, when I am in the meat section, I look for the reduced meat sticker. Oh yeah. If it's closer great. Right? And then if you put it in the freezer, everybody, it's fine. Okay. Calm down. Um, so, uh, they're actually super important in terms of budgeting, reduced uh, prices. If you get rid of them, then it follows that you may also be getting rid of your reduced produce section.
0: Mm, that's a really, really good point. Megan, I'm going to stay with you. you on this one. Okay. With this number of 62% of Canadians saying we want to keep these around, do you think it's at all possible that it has to do with a, perhaps a distrust of the grocery industry? that maybe we need them for accountability reasons. I can't tell you how many times I've bought something and I bring it home and it goes bad like a day later.
8: Right. I had some unfortunate situations with some peppers a few months ago and I was all excited because they were on sale. Um, I think actually some research would suggest it has to do more with a food safety culture in Canada. That we are in generally as a country very concerned about food safety uh, which is why we like our best before dates. Mm. But anything that um, can increase accountability, I'm typically in favor of. Um, but if people are distressing their grocery store chains right now, I would argue it's probably to do with other things mm-hmm. uh, that aren't your best before dates. But when you combine those things, let's say you're distrustful because of prices, uh, then you combine that with best before dates, it can be a potent...
0: Jenny Megan rejected my premise somewhat there, and I'm okay with that. Many of my premises are indeed wrong, but what do you make of my premise that perhaps this comes from a place of distrust?
7: I'm with Megan, where I do think that we have a pretty good, well, I mean, studies show that we have a a really good um, system in Canada in terms of food safety. We're really well regulated. Um, But I'm with Megan, too, that I think it's a combination of things when it comes to trusting those retailers. If we're inflating prices and not paying staff a living wage at the same time, that leaves a taste of distrust but I don't know I kind of I don't really trust anyone you need to prove it to me and I do think best before dates like I I don't trust all the hands that are working in the meat department to know when that meat was put out it's not like I I'm going to a butcher where there's a handful of people there the who you know they know the history mm-hmm, of that meat mm-hmm. right so for for me I think yeah but it's a it's a bigger picture thing the whole trust thing you gotta you have to earn our trust
0: I like that. The old, that's what Jenny has in common with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Don't trust anybody. <laughs> DTA, don't trust anybody. Uh, guys, accessibility question here because typically a lot of these best before dates or expiry dates are extremely difficult to read. That's my assertion. Megan, are you going to reject that premise?
6: Oh,
8: no, I 10,000 times agree <laughs> that. I actually had that experience uh, this morning because I wanted to make scrambled eggs and, like, add things to it. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll put it in these sun-dried tomatoes that are in my fridge. And I'm like, oh, look, there's a best before date. And then, you know, you spend, like, five minutes trying to, like, read the best before date, oh, and my tomatoes gosh. fine. And then I just decided not to use them. But, okay. um, <laughs> yeah, and they're in – you can't always find where they are on the packaging. Like, oh, it's my not gosh, consistent. Yeah. Um. It's I painful. Agree. The accessibility of best for, for and, and the other side of this, is Jenny was alluding to, in terms especially of meat production is packaging date. Uh, that's equally as important, I'd argue. Mm. And can you find that?
0: No. Yeah, it can be really, really tricky. Jenny, uh, I, I think we're going to have unanimity on this, but some of the accessibility concerns about best before dates and expiry dates being very difficult to read
7: so much time wasted in the grocery store hunting for that expiration date. I mean, you can, you, you can be doing all the right things. You can have your, you know, your, your, your camera out, you can have your OrCam and it can still be just tricky to locate where it is. And there's gotta be a better way. But I think one of the things we can do better is especially with packaging to like put it on a place that is not, like on the bend of the packaging or on the back of it, like just a little bit more thought, I think Mm -hmm. would make things easier, but there's got to be a better way. The old stamp, like, I just, I don't understand how that even is still a thing. (laughs) We can't be the only ones. I'm sure there are fully sighted people who are out there nodding in agreement as well,
8: right? For sure. Yeah. And if they could like put it in a portion of the package that, oh, I don't know, isn't already crowded with a whole bunch of other words or, like, has, you know, let's do, like, a dark blue background and then let's put black words on it. Nobody can see that. Nobody can see it.
0: Yeah, Which that's really well sense. put. Yeah, black black fonts on, like, navy blue. Congratulations. This is illegible for anybody. Like, this is universal yes. design. This is universally inaccessible. Jenny, I'm always in awe of your athletic prowess, just, you know, casual 10 K runs here and there just for the heck of it. So I get the impression that maybe you're a little more considerate about what you put in your body. Whereas I just consume garbage. So I don't really care too much about what's on the food label, but what about you? Are you reading food labels? Do you have a special technique, assistive tech that you use to make sure you're putting the right macros in your body?
7: Dave, there's a time and a place for garbage. Let's all agree (laughs) on that. It's always garbage
0: day in the life of Dave Brown.
7: I think when a lot of people think about reading the nutrition, like the food labels, I think they imagine I'm spending like an hour extra at the grocery store every time. And they think it's a really tedious thing. For me, that's not the case. I am really conscious of what I purchase. Um, but it's it's really more so if I'm picking out something new, right? If my like favorite pasta sauce is discontinued, and I need to pick out a new jar sauce, I do want to compare um, how much sugar is it would be in, in each of my New options. So for me, I mean, my go to is taking a photo. And now with the optical character recognition on my iPhone camera, I am just, I feel so blessed by that new feature. I love it so, so much. Um, But I think I mentioned Orcam earlier. I think that would be a game changer. If Orcam, you're listening, I'd love to try one out and I'd promote the heck out of that for you. Because uh, it, it's a bit of an investment. But I know a lot of people who also use um, Be My Eyes and this kind of thing um, in, in their grocery shopping. It's totally worth it reading the labels, but you've got to know what you're looking at. You've You've got to educate yourself and do some research
0: low vision moments brought to you by OrCam. I think, I think we're <laughs> on to something here. That uh,
7: sounds good.
0: Megan, I know you also take great care to consume the right kinds of things. How do you manage food labels?
8: Yeah, uh, thanks, Dave. Um, I probably don't take as much care as you think, but there no, there's a few things that I, I will look for consistently. Um... Typically, okay, so I have eSight glasses, the electronic glasses that look like virtual reality, but they're not. Um, Connecting disability brought to you
0: by eSight glasses.
8: Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, so eSight eyewear, technically. Um, so I have brought them <laughs> at times, um, and it can get a little cumbersome because it's just like another thing to carry with you because I don't use a grocery cart for the safety of everybody. I don't drive grocery carts in stores. Um, Bring so back
2: have the baskets. To- yeah so,
8: uh, yeah, so <laughs> I used baskets or um, my buggy, or once during COVID, when there were no baskets, a grocery store manager gave me a cardboard box, and I walked around the grocery oh. store with a cardboard box. Oh, my gosh. Um, So I don't have a lot of hands space to be holding other things. So um, essentially, if your label is not easy for me to read, I will not read it. It's a pretty quick, um, quick scan of the mm. If I can't see mm. it, then it's not getting
0: read. Yeah, when I'm when I need to do some research on nutritional facts, a lot of that's going to happen before I even go to the grocery store, I'll, I'll know what I'm looking for. But as mentioned, it's always garbage day in the life of uh, Dave Brown. So oh, that's get,
7: a good idea, Dave. Yeah. Plan ahead. Why didn't I think of that? It,
0: it's never a bad idea, especially when there are all those moments when I'm like, I don't want to be 300 pounds anymore. And I'm like, let's see if I can find a light peanut butter that works for me. And uh, that, you know, that's a dangerous game, because I love me some peanut butter. Guys, as I've mentioned to you before, the grocery store is one of my favorite places in the world world because that's where they keep the food and it's just the simple joy of wandering the aisles it's also a place that can fill me with great rage and disdain for my fellow humans megan what do you enjoy most about the grocery store
8: Oh, I, I love grocery stores, Dave, I'm with you. It's the best kind of shopping, everybody, because you need food. There is no, <laughs> like, bad, like, nobody can tell you, oh, you just slurged on something you don't need. You need to eat. Um, no, so much fun. It's the, it's the possibilities of what you could make. It's the, oh, I'm going to invite somebody over, and we're going to make this, and it's just all, all those things. Uh, so I really like that. Um, I also sometimes have really fun conversations with fellow shoppers, Uh, which I I really appreciate. And there was a time in my life um, uh, where I was using my cane as like an extended arm. So as well as being visually impaired, I'm uh, vertically challenged. So it's harder for me to grab certain items. And um, once I was trying to grab the laundry detergent and put my cane through the handle and was using that to like, pulled it closer oh come on
0: that's awesome yes and then i hear this man behind
8: me go do you need help getting that down there's like this tall guy standing there yes actually i
0: do jenny what's your favorite part about the grocery store i like megan's answer by the way like the imagination of what am i going to make is a really fun one
7: First, I'm no stranger to climbing up on shelves to get stuff. That's me. But uh, <laughs> I love a, a I love exploring grocery stores in like a different country or even in a different province or a different part of town, because I it's it's a, the human nature thing for me. You get to see what do people in this region like to eat? Because the retailer usually caters to, to who's, you know, who's living there, even like the big bad chains these days in my area, they do that anyway. Um, So I just, I just, yeah, love exploring how they do things and, and learning like in Ireland, for example, As many things as possible are from Ireland. Um, I just find it fascinating to see how people do food in different places.
0: Oh, you got to make sure your potatoes are local. That's how you're going (laughs) to eat the potatoes. Uh, Let's get to grocery store pet peeves. My biggest issue, much like many elements in life, is clutter. But particularly, it's humans who create the clutter around the grocery store. Please don't block the entire aisle with your cart. I'm a very efficient, quick shopper. Get out of my way. Jenny, what's your pet peeve?
7: Dave, there are so many, but I'll pick just one. Can we please just put all the milks in one section, the dairy, look, the dairy milk, the almond milk, the soy milk, they're not going to like get in a fist fight. If you put them in the same cooler guys, I don't want to have to make six stops. I know what you're trying to do. Here's the healthy natural aisle. Here's the everyday dairy person aisle. No, we make, we let us make an educated decision. Put the organic cookies with the regular cookies, please. Please mm. help us.
0: <laughs> Megan, grocery <laughs> store pet peeve.
8: Oh, okay. Yeah, I also have many. Um, one of them is um, I don't like mood lighting. I don't like dim lighting. I don't like it. Um, and I also don't like fancy chalkboard signs mm. that mm. where people write in chalk, um, like what the produce is and how much it is. I can't read it. And even if I did want that artisan squash, um, I can't read it, and I think like, your sign just made me grumpy. I will not buy it. Yeah, on let, matter of principle.
0: let let's finish there because we started talking a little bit about prices in the last in the last uh, part of this conversation. I think it's worth revisiting that so many times a lot of the text on sale signs isn't clear or the tiny fonts aren't clear what item might actually be on sale, I would say that's another pet peeve for me. Just really poor labeling and teensy tiny fonts. Understanding there are plenty of people who have less vision than me, where it doesn't matter, there should be even more accessible ways, whether it be QR codes or other ways to leverage technology or maybe even little spoken things you can do. But I would say that the level of font and the distracting font and the inability to decipher sales would be a pet peeve for me. Megan, your reaction to that?
8: Oh yes, 110% also another pet peeve of mine in terms of like deciphering things is uh, when items that are similar and the same color are put next to each other. So for example, when the white kidney beans are put next to the chickpeas and I wanting chickpeas actually grab white kidney beans. I don't realize this until I get home. And I don't like white kidney beans. So well,
0: somebody please tell me what to do with them. <laughs> Jenny, A, any advice about white kidney beans? And B, what about the general feeling of like, can you make these sales a little bit more obvious for me? Can you use clearer fonts?
7: I, I got nothing on kidney beans. But but yeah, if you, and I'm thinking about produce. You know, I rarely see the prices on produce. So I just buy it because yeah. I need it and I want it. And then I get to the till and it is what it is. But again, like make us, let us make an educated decision here. And it just makes it easier for everyone when signage is accessible, as accessible as possible. I mean, and it's, and it's easy to do. I think we just need more as to Megan's point from earlier, it needs to be better regulated. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why it isn't at this point. We want to buy your stuff, make it easy to buy your stuff. Exactly,
0: Megan, Jenny, I'm grateful for both your takes on this. Jenny, have a great day.
7: You too.
0: Megan, you have yourself a nice day as well. We'll talk to you next week.
8: All right. Have a good have a good day.
0: That is Megan Gilmore, the host of the Connecting Disability podcast, and Jenny Bovard, the host of the Low Vision Moments podcast. You can find those both on your favorite podcasting platform. Coming up after the break, we find out what's coming up on Kelly and Company, and then I will ask Rumia and Nazreen the daily poll question. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. <laughs> Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's look ahead to this afternoon when Kelly and company hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI audio. Ramya Amuthan is the coast co-host of that show. The coast, if you will. And is here to tell you what's coming up on that show. Hey, good morning, Ramya.
9: Good morning, Dave. Yeah, we have lots coming up on today's show, and Kelly and I are together. This is now a rare occasion. Just
0: uh, letting you know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. There's been a lot of Daniel McLaughlin the last couple weeks.
9: I know it's so funny, but anyway, we're back together, and Margaret Weldon is joining us for In the Know. She's highlighting an initiative called Wounded Warriors Canada, and this is mm. an um. They offer support for uh, veterans, first responders, and their families, and there's a lot going on. So she'll tell us more. We're also learning more about face equality. International, and they uh, want to ensure, well, they're, it's an alliance of worldwide NGOs, and they're devoted to ensuring the facial difference community can live freely without indignity or discrimination. With Halloween coming up, we know we talk about costumes and dressed up and all these Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Uh, Also, everything that's available in pop culture and um, facial difference being represented so poorly. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk more about that. And uh, to lighten things up, by the end of the show, we'll be doing (laughs) What in the World, where we flip through quirky (laughs) stories from around the
5: world. (laughs) Ah,
0: Bringing in the Ryman for that one. We like that. (laughs) Uh, Ramya, stay right there for a moment. Let's bring in Nazreen Abdelmajid as well. I want to ask you guys our daily poll question, which folks can find at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Hey, good morning, Nazreen.
8: Good morning.
0: So Nazreen, the question of the day. How willing are you to change phone slash internet companies for a better price? Very? Somewhat? Not at all?
8: Depends on how convincing you are, because it really takes a lot for me to spend hours on the phone to change my plan. So if it's a really good plan, it depends on how good the plan is. Mm. Then I'm willing. But somewhat. Let's put somewhat.
0: Rumia, what about you?
9: I like my current plan and Nisreen, it's really not about convincing for me. I just need to know how quickly things can change over. Cause I hate the hassle of changing service providers and all mm. the blah, blah, mm. and hidden fees and time consuming. And then I have to mail it. Now this, this thing where I have to mail out stuff like the, the old modem yeah, and whatever.
0: Yeah.
9: So <laughs> I'm good. I, I don't like the hassle.
0: Yeah. I've got this dormant modem. That's been, that, that was my work Wi-Fi That was an emergency backup for, uh, during the pandemic. And, uh, it's just sitting there. It's the modem plugged in. I was actually supposed me? to bring it back to Paula Deneen weeks ago, so she might be a little mad at me uh, that this is sitting there gathering dust. But similar deal. The, the, peop- the people at Bell are like, you need to mail that back to us. I'm like, why don't you come get it? You come yeah. get your modem. You know, we paid the price. Uh, I was mentioning to Eliza earlier in the show that uh, the deal they're offering in my building would actually save me about $50 a month to switch internet oh, wow. companies from my other internet company. And... uh I'm like, oh, I'm so lazy. I don't want to do it. That's like $600 a year. That's a lot of money.
9: I know. I feel like there's always a catch.
0: (laughs) Uh, Nazreen, go ahead. You go first, and then I want to comment on Romeo's lazy comments because I am the laziest man on earth.
7: I was going to say there's always a catch, though. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, what, like, yeah. What do you okay. think the catch could be like? It could be, oh no, we can't install this for like months on ends or like how reliable is your service? And I don't talk to my neighbors. That's what I should do. I should talk to my neighbors and see if they like this internet that's being offered in the building.
8: Yeah, I mean, it's always something like that. But I feel like there's always an extra charge that I never knew about no. for me. <laughs> yeah. Talk about experience.
0: <laughs> the listed price is not always the same. Uh, Ramia, you said there's a price to pay for laziness. I know that all too well. Laziness <laughs> and procrastination. I am the laziest procrastinator on planet Earth.
9: Yeah, I know. And I'm second right behind you because it's true. <laughs> like, I know how much money I can save. I know that it's just this one box I need to ship out. They they give you the label and everything, but I'm just not willing to do it. And therefore, I will continue paying, you know, 80 bucks instead of 40 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, too, I think dissatisfaction plays a huge role because I'm pretty satisfied with my current, uh, you know, cell phone provider, for mm, example, right? Yeah. So, you know, a, a better marketing scheme might lure me in, but I'm like, eh. I'm all right. I got enough data.
0: The day they let you start porting your number over so you didn't have to change your phone number all the time was the day where you'd think that I would take advantage of that freedom. And yet I've never changed cell phone (laughs) companies since they instituted that. I'm sorry.
9: This is this is a total side note, but I still haven't renewed my credit card because you know how they send you a new one every couple. Yeah, of years yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh. Now i z- I have zero credit cards because I refuse. Like, I'm too lazy to move to the new one. Just call the number up and activate. Oh That's my gosh!
0: Sometimes you don't even need to call them. You just slide it into the machine and it automatically <laughs> right. activates itself. But uh, Ramya, no, too lazy. Off. Game respects game <laughs> through and through. Game respects game. Ramya, thank you for this. Have a great show today. Thank you. Nizreen, thank you for chiming in as well. It's always a great time chatting with you.
9: Talk to you tomorrow.
0: That's Nizreen Abdelmajid and Ramya Emuthin. That's all the time we have for this Power Out edition of Now with Dave Brown. Thank you for bearing with us with a gap in the middle of the show. We'll be back again tomorrow, hopefully full powered and all systems go. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.